Hey, y'all, listen to this. There's new government legislation in place right now that will create 1.5 million new jobs each year for the next 10 years. Millions are green jobs. Let me say that again. 1.5 million new jobs every year for 10 years. The clean energy transition is well underway. There are going to be so many job openings. That's today's guest, Bethany Jones, director of the Office of Energy Jobs at the Department of Energy. She says that 1.5 million jobs is probably just the beginning. We're making and building a lot of clean energy infrastructure and materials in this country, and we need a lot of workers. From new legislation to apprenticeships, grants, and programs of all kinds, the government is stepping up to support green job seekers like you. Today on the show, Bethany Jones will guide you to where those jobs are and how you can get one. This is Degrees, real talk about planet-saving careers from Environmental Defense Fund. This is Season 6, How to Green Your Job, and I'm your host, Yesh Pavlik-Slink. Today's guest, Bethany Jones, has been working in government for a long time, first with the Clinton administration and now with the Biden administration. And in between, she spent 20 years doing research and policy work at the intersection of labor and clean energy. A hallmark of her whole career has been finding climate solutions that boost the economy and provide good union jobs. Today, as the director of the Office of Energy Jobs in the Department of Energy, that's exactly what she's doing. The Department of Energy is thinking really strategically about how to accelerate the clean energy transition, how to get to a totally clean, carbon-free grid by 2035, how to build a carbon-neutral economy by 2050. I asked Bethany to lay out exactly how they plan to reach those ambitious milestones. Well, right now we have historic, historic game-changing investments in climate and the clean energy transition. Through the bipartisan infrastructure law, where we're investing in all sorts of new energy infrastructure, from grid modernization to building new battery factories, to the Inflation Reduction Act, which provides massive, extremely generous tax credits to build out the clean energy system and to build those supply chains to support that here in the U.S. These massive investments will create jobs, and that's part of the goal to really use the imperative of climate change as a driver for economic development. Part of Bethany's job is to determine how all of this funding goes out the door and to make sure the jobs that are created are good ones. Good quality jobs that people want to get and want to grow in and want to keep. And not just jobs, but careers. And so that requires making sure that employers are thinking up front about the quality of jobs that they're creating, about who will have access to those jobs, how will they recruit a skilled and diverse workforce to fill them. And so we're thinking and trying to encourage job quality first and foremost, and then secondarily look at the training and education pathways to help get workers into those good quality career track jobs. 
millions of jobs, training pathways, good quality careers. This all sounds incredible. But did you know this was happening? After six seasons of degrees and over eight years of working for EDF's Climate Corps, I've talked with countless people who have been looking for these exact opportunities in clean energy. But they seem to have fallen under the radar for a lot of job seekers, especially in communities where they don't eat, sleep, and breathe environmental causes. So there's tons of jobs, but the thing is that workers don't really know what these are. They don't know that these exist. And so part of the challenge is making sure that people understand what does clean energy even mean? I think we all think about the iconic solar panel or wind turbine, but that's just a narrow set of what clean energy is. What we're talking about now is things like carbon capture and storage or hydrogen fuel to decarbonize heavy industry or transportation. We're talking about geothermal energy and how that can be used to produce electricity or for heat. We're talking about battery manufacturing. There's also the finance jobs and the HR jobs and the advertising and marketing jobs and all of the supportive jobs to help these industries grow. There are even opportunities for folks without a four-year degree through something called the Registered Apprenticeship Program which is sort of an equivalent of a bachelor's degree for people who want to work with their hands. You work and you go to class at night and you earn a paycheck while you're acquiring this industry-recognized credential uh, that you can take anywhere in the country and, and work in your trade or craft, whether you've trained to be an electrician or operate heavy machinery to drill geothermal wells or prepare the ground for a solar farm. Earning a paycheck while getting the training you need? Yes, please. Another way to break into this field is through government internships and fellowships. Bettany's own Office of Energy Jobs has multiple openings in workforce and clean energy development through the ORISE program at the Department of Energy. And there's the newly announced American Climate Corps, which, as you may have heard, aims to get 20,000 people into good-paying jobs that tackle the climate crisis. The American Climate Corps is also designed to give people that first toehold through pre-apprenticeship training that can expose you to a range of different potential jobs and then help you connect to that more advanced career track training. So it's really a good way to, to one, build awareness of what these jobs are, and, and then two, really facilitate access to them for young people across the country. And these jobs aren't just for young people. People interested in switching careers or learning new skills or upskilling, or if you say you're an engineer and you want to work in the battery space that you didn't train for batteries specifically, how can you pivot and make that transition? So there's a lot of these clean energy jobs for people with advanced degrees, people without advanced degrees, people who don't have access to college and still want to get into a clean energy career. It kind of runs the whole gamut. A lot of the details about the American Climate Corps are still being ironed out. But one of the first programs to launch is called Forest Corps, which involves hands-on training by the U.S. Forest Service in wildfire mitigation, environmental conservation, and reforestation. Applications open soon. You can find the link in our show notes. Okay, this all sounds amazing, right? But the clean energy transition is happening in real time. Behind all this legislation are people who are struggling. Individuals who lost their jobs during the pandemic. Entire industries who have taken a hit, leaving whole communities in dire straits. 
looking for what's next. I was in Northwest Colorado recently meeting with a couple different communities, both of which are losing coal power plants, and both of which are developing very different economic redevelopment strategies. Both the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law and the Inflation Reduction Act have billions set aside specifically to help coal communities transition to greener alternatives. One community is talking to a a hydropower producer. Others are looking at attracting advanced manufacturing and developing like a green industrial park to really attract new employers to replace some of the job loss and tax base from the coal facility. Even if they attract these employers, there's still more work to be done. A lot of these energy communities, they might be fairly remote, have, you know, very small staffs to apply for grants or funding. And so we've developed these rapid response teams to provide even the capacity to think about federal resources and then go after some of the funding that is available to them. Bettany's department is trying to think through all the barriers to job growth, but she's quick to say there isn't a one-size-fits-all solution. Every community is unique. There's no single industry that could replace a, a large energy employer in a community. And that means that, say, a coal power plant facing closure might not be able to replace the jobs with just a single solar farm or a hydro facility, that we're really looking at how can we attract manufacturing employers to those communities? What are the assets that can be repurposed to diversify the economy? Maybe geothermal energy production or direct air capture or even advanced nuclear. Some of those are technologies that can use a lot of the same skills that are required in the fossil economy uh, to transition to clean energy jobs without having to go through a bunch of retraining. All this change is a little daunting, but it's also so exciting. And it made me think about even more changes I've seen in this field in just the last five years. I mean, back then I was working with a company where I couldn't even use the word sustainability. That story after the break. Hey listeners, greening your career is exciting, but it can also feel overwhelming. Where do you start? If I've learned anything from my degrees guests, it's this. Just take a single step. Do one thing. Need ideas for your one thing? Every episode of Degrees offers brilliant ways to take action on your green career, no matter the field, from renewable energy to religion, agriculture to activism. Listen to all of our previous episodes on your favorite podcast app today. I'm Yesh Pavlik-Slank, and this is Degrees, real talk about planet-saving careers from Environmental Defense Fund. I'm talking with Bettany Jones, director of the Office of Energy Jobs at the Department of Energy, and how clean energy jobs are taking off. Our conversation got me thinking about all the changes over the last decade, not just the technology that has made all kinds of climate solutions possible, but even the language we use to talk about these solutions. 
As part of my job here at EDF, I help place fellows at various organizations around the world to drive a wide variety of sustainability and clean energy projects. Not too long ago, I was working with a company for the first time, and they were excited to work with us, but the catch was we were not allowed to say the words climate change, sustainability, or green. Like, those were dirty words. Instead, we had to focus solely on the business case for renewable energy. I was hesitant, maybe even a little offended by this rule, but we moved forward, and despite the challenges, the project was a success. Today, we still partner with that company, and get this, they have a five-person sustainability team now. I'd call that progress. I told Bettany this story and was curious if she'd ever experienced anything like this. That's such an interesting question. I think I've spent 20 years code switching, you know, decades working on climate solutions without ever talking about climate change. People didn't need to agree that it was a problem or man-made or something that we had to do something about if they could save money or get a job or see opportunity then you know, we're able to achieve the same results. But the the parallel in my work is really talking about unions. We're only now really just starting to be able to talk really explicitly about the, the role that unions can play in this space and what are the benefits of employers working with unions. When I started uh, my career in D.C. working on climate science, I saw that the science was sort of marginalized. And what really persuaded policymakers was jobs and economic impacts. And so that is why I started approaching climate change through an economic lens. How can we address this crisis in a way that creates opportunity? An opportunity for workers, opportunity for businesses, opportunity for investors, where progress is not premised on even a belief in climate change. This idea is pretty crucial, right? I mean, of course, if you're listening to this show, it goes without saying that you care about the environment. But even if that's not your top priority, we can all get excited about stability and good paying jobs, period. How do we not just create opportunity as we address climate change, but really help organized labor and workers in the fossil economy see a future for themselves in a low carbon economy. And what that requires is that we're not just creating clean energy jobs or green jobs, that we're creating good union jobs that have real pathways to advancement that allow people to support their family, to buy a house, to have the kind of life that they want to have, have weekends off, go camping, the things that people want to do in their lives. Well, let's let's take a step deeper into that. While we're recording this episode, the United Auto Workers are currently on strike. And one of the issues they raise is a concern that electric vehicles are easier and cheaper to make than gas-powered vehicles. So as the push for more EVs grows, their jobs and their salaries might be at risk. How do you balance the push for a greener workforce with the genuine concerns of laborers and labor unions? You know, industrial transition is is hard and it can, without care, lead to a displacement of jobs. It can lead to an erosion of job quality. It can lead to changes in those uh, collective bargaining agreements or labor management dynamics and workplaces. And so the threat is real. And so we're not trying to pretend that this transition isn't 
that it's all upside. Like we have to look at where are their risks and who needs to be supported to transition to these clean energy jobs. A huge, huge part of that is onshoring the supply chains for the clean energy economy. Onshoring supply chains means moving electric vehicle manufacturing to the U.S. to secure those jobs. Betney says incentives through the Inflation Reduction Act and bipartisan infrastructure law are helping to do this. Even so, support is still needed to make sure workers can transition from one job to the next. The thing is, making electric vehicles is, in some ways, simpler than making gas-powered ones. Their electric motors and batteries use fewer parts than combustion engines. The worry is, fewer people are needed to build them. Like, there's still a need to make sure that uh, traditional automotive supply chain workers have access to these new battery jobs, that they're as stable and pay as well as jobs in the automotive manufacturing space. And a grant opportunity that we just put out is to really support the conversion of internal combustion engine vehicle manufacturing facilities to EV supply chain manufacturing facilities in a way that retains the high wages from the traditional auto industry to the green auto industry. So Bettany is well aware of the challenges faced by workers in a changing economy. I've been working in this green workforce development space for a long time. To see the federal government taking action to bolster this movement in a substantial way is incredible. It gives me goosebumps. We have $62 billion to invest in clean energy deployment, and that is across 72 different programs, 60 of which are completely new programs from supporting the hydrogen infrastructure, the production and and use of hydrogen to decarbonize transportation, decarbonize industry, decarbonize the grid, to battery manufacturing to support the electric vehicle transition and grid energy storage, and lots and lots in between. We're really looking at how are those investments going to be made in a way that supports job growth in the U.S. and good quality jobs that people really want. We just talked about a lot of resources, and it's okay if you didn't write it all down. Information about all of these opportunities will be linked in our show notes. But that's not all. If politics is your thing, make sure to check your state, county, or local government for fellowship and grant opportunities. And then there's programs like the one I run, EDF Climate Corps. Over the summer, our fellows get paid to work with all kinds of companies and public sector organizations on sustainability goals while helping to grow a global climate leadership workforce. I've been working on this program for over a decade, and I can honestly tell you it's a win-win-win. A win for you, a win for the organization you work for, and a win for the planet. We embed fellows in a wide variety of companies and organizations from Walmart in China to Mayo Clinic in Minnesota as well as government agencies like the City of Atlanta, Chicago Public Schools, and the Brihan Mumbai Municipal Corporation in India. Our fellowships are not like internships, where you spend your day getting coffee for everyone. Rather, they make real impact on things like portfolio-scale energy efficiency, climate justice, and reducing supply chain emissions. 
and the planet-saving work EDF Climacore alumni are doing is endless. For example, Jenny McCullough, who was a fellow in 2011, now leads sustainability at McDonald's. To learn more about her impact, check out season four of Degrees. And in case you need even more inspiration, here are just a few more EDF Climacore success stories. We had a fellow help phase out coal from IKEA supply chains in China. Now they're working to decarbonize other major industries across the country. One fellow helped the city of Austin, Texas, save money on electricity by reducing energy usage. Now they work for the city of Seattle, helping create racial equity in their emissions reduction planning. And another fellow was placed at Adidas. They were later hired as Adidas's director of energy and environment. And today they lead environmental policy advocacy at a nonprofit in Massachusetts. That's it for this episode. Be sure to check out the rest of season six on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you're listening now, and share this podcast with a friend. Next time on Degrees, it's our final episode of the season, and it's a big one, an interview with the Nature Conservancy's chief scientist, Catherine Hayhoe. You don't want to miss it. Don't forget, check out our Green Jobs Hub to find all the resources to jumpstart your green job career search. Degrees is presented by Environmental Defense Fund. Amy Morse is our producer. Podcast Allies is our production company. Tressa Verstag produced this episode. Mia Lobel is our story editor. Io Oti is our researcher. Engineering by Andrew Perella and Daniel Chavez-Crook. Our music is Shame, Shame, Shame by Lake Street Dive and additional music in this episode from Epidemic Sound. And I'm your host, Yesh Pavlik-Slink. Stay fired up, y'all. Oh. <laughs> oh, I forgot that line. And I'm your host, Yesh Pavlik Slink. <laughs> Sorry, I can't look at you right now. Uh, so embarrassing. All right, I got to do this.